Thank you, Eli and Cadence. Man, that was good. I want you to turn with me to the book of Esther this morning. The book of Esther. You should know where that's at, right at the end of Nehemiah that we spent so many weeks in. And I want to, I mean, I know you know the story. But there's a word that really has been just stuck in my head this week and began to explore it even deeper as it relates to all of us. There's no one in this room that this does not apply to. And I simply want to preach on influence. Influence. You know, from what kind of clothes we wear to what team we cheer for, from what political party affiliation to which lives matter. These are just a few of the areas where influence is prevalent. I, as well as you, were influenced by our upbringing. My dad liked to watch racing and was into cars, and I kind of followed into that. It was something I didn't follow everything, uh, but that was, that was one of the things that I really took from my father. There were those that I met in middle school and high school that were bad influences. And no doubt, I was a bad influence on others. You're much like your witness. Same thing. You're either a good witness or a bad witness. You're either a good influence or a bad influence. Uh, we often hear kids say something in public and we try to get them to be quiet. But the truth is they heard it at home. They heard it around the circles that they run. You see, we watch the news and we read consumer reviews. We listen to the professionals tell us what, when, where, and how we should think and what we should do. But where does God fit into this? What does God have to say about anything, anything, and everything in our lives and the world. We are in uncharted territory. No one, listen to me, no one knows what tomorrow holds. It has become more evident than ever before. We have no idea. As Andrew asked us to pray for the teachers and the students, much of it is uh, an anxiety of What's going to happen? What's it going to look like? We, we knew that when the governor opened up barbershops and beauty parlors and gyms. We, we had no idea what would ha happen there. And we have some that read something that somebody told them, somebody said. And so we form our opinions on that and we become very staunch proponents of it. While on the other side of the aisle, we say we've read something or heard from somewhere that completely counteracts that. The truth is, I don't think anybody knows. God does. God knows. In just a moment as we look at Esther, I want you to realize something. As we have seen in the previous weeks, we have a group in America that's doing their best to erase all of our history. And we know the old saying, and it 
is very true that if we do not learn from our history, we're doomed to repeat it. I'm here to tell you, if you remember anything about history at all, you learned about the Holocaust, which unlike the leaders of Iran, it really did happen. Jews were killed wholesale around the world. They were, they were considered by the Germanic people to be rats and less than human beings. But here in Esther, we see the first true Holocaust averted because of a few people who would not be influenced the wrong way and chose to influence rather than to be influenced. It has been said that leadership is influence. Well, I want to ask you, are we leading or are we being led? Parents, are we leading our children in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake or are we being led by our desire for our children to be more than what we were? or to be more than what the others are? Are we influencing our world, or is our world influencing us? Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, our Lord and Savior, said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. You are the light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Can I be very honest and forward with you this morning? I went to sleep about 2 o'clock and I woke up at 6 something this morning. Now how many of you think that's ordinary behavior for your pastor? That's just not who I am. The 2 o'clock thing, yeah. I didn't go fishing and I didn't go hunting. I usually don't see 6 o'clock like that. I was overwhelmed with anxiety. Some of you face that too. And you may feel like you can't say anything to anybody and that it's some stigma. I'm here to tell you that this morning I was completely entrenched. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Billy, just when we thought we got all that stuff up from night to shine, That's pretty cool. And I just laid on the bed and thank God for a wife who understands and cares. She said, just, just lay down, just come back, lay down, and just, just, just lay down. Which meant talk, I listen. You know, what, what, what's eating at you? What's bothering you? And I began to pour my heart out. And this morning it was... Uh, I'm going to just tell you, thank God for preachers and preacher friends because I was texting and I called my buddies this morning that taught me off the ledge. I said, do you remember? I said, we've been doing this a long time. I said, and there's been three, four, maybe five times in 30-something years of ministry where I got up on a Sunday morning and thought, I cannot go do this this morning can't do it. I can't do it. And the first person to meet me in the midst of that spiritual warfare, the Lord's already there, 
encouraging me, hey, take a deep breath, but my wife's been there to say, God's got this. My friend has been there to say, I've been there too. God is faithful. Y'all ever have that? If you don't have a friend like that, call me this week because I want to return the favor. And I've got some of you that are so encouraging that lifts me up. And you, I mean, little things, people that I know are praying every day. You don't have to tell me, for I know. But I'm here to tell you that all the stuff, the garbage that I said, the, 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 the media, the, the social outcries, all the things, it becomes overwhelming. I don't know if you feel that way. So I hope and pray because I believe God, listen, if Satan was so desperate to keep me out of this pulpit this morning, I believe God has something desperately needed for us to hear. You see, Jesus said we are the light of the world, but that light, he's very clear, starts at home. We are to be a light of influence to our family. We are to be a light of influence in our community. I told you last week about those members of our church, firefighters, police officers, who rushed to the scene and rescued, and that child came home. They gave her no hope. But through your prayers and through the physical efforts of members of this church who cared, many who are volunteer, that rushed out at 10 o'clock on a Friday night and stayed for hours. Listen, a lot to our community. A lot to our society. We live in a dark world, don't we? It's a dark world. The last 10 years, we have seen the greatest onslaught against the Bible and religious liberty that we have faced in hundreds and hundreds of years. And if we're not careful, we'll, and the Lord doesn't come back, we will enter into the next dark age. We are literally on the verge of becoming a third world country. If you watch the things going on in the news, you would swear that it has to be in Venezuela. That can't be happening here. They're not burning down police stations in America. They're not taking over entire cities that must be in a foreign land, and yet it's here. Today, we want to see that we're light to our family, our community, our society, and to the entire world. Today, we will look at a familiar story of influence and how it shaped all of these and saved a nation. But I want you to understand now the tools of the enemy. Number one is intimidation. The world will try its best to intimidate you. There was a poll released this week that said somewhere between 68 and 72 conservative Christian Americans are afraid to say anything publicly because of the repercussions that may come to them or their home. Edmund Burke, during World War II, says said that all it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. God's Word says that in James. And throughout Scripture, 
when Moses didn't want to go and he ran all the way to the back of the desert, when Abraham wasn't sure about things, when Jacob's brothers or sons went against their brother, when so many said, not me, not me, Lord, because of intimidation. You remember as we went through Nehemiah, I mean, two of the guys that, you know, when I was younger, I loved wrestling. Not wrestling, wrestling. And I'd watch that wrestling. And you, you had the good guys that you liked, and then you had the bad guys you loved to hate. And they played that whole thing up. Well, I'm going to tell you two people that I've loved and, and understand my spirit, that I've, the enemies, the, the dark hat guys, were Sanballat and Tobiah of Nehemiah. They kept coming against them. They mocked them. Every way they could, they tried to intimidate. They play on our insecurities and our immaturity, both theirs and ours, that we don't know enough of the Word of God to stand and deliver. We don't know how to defend the faith. The Bible tells us in Jude 3 to earnestly, that means with all of our effort, stand and fight for what is right. We say, I'll fight for my family. I will too. But are we willing to fight for that which has never changed? That men and women have given their life for for thousands of years. The blessed word of God. We cannot afford to be immature. And just sheer ignorance because of laziness. We can tell you who won the World Series. We can tell you what the score was for the ball games or who won the race. We can tell you who's on the leaderboard at the golf tournament. We can tell you where the best deals are and the best recipes on Pinterest. We can tell you all about social media and what the best places to eat are, but we can't tell somebody how to be saved and what we believe. First of all today, as we look in Esther, now the story goes, they're in the foreign land. This is during the exile. And the king's wife has made him mad, and he's gotten rid of her. And he's set aside a bunch of others to look for who he wants. And Esther gets called in. Esther was a beautiful young girl. And they took her in, and they made her up. I mean, they did the full full-on tune-up on her. And they presented her before the king, and the king says, wow. And he calls Esther to his court. And yet her people sat outside the gates, hurting and in bondage. Do you know your neighbor do you know your coworker? Do you know that your teammate may be lost and in that bondage of this world? People that you care about. Well, if we really care, then we must do everything in our power. Well, Mordecai was not in the palace. He was outside the palace. Mordecai was, most believe, Esther's uncle. Esther was an older man that was not about being intimidated. I want you to notice with me in chapter 3 as the thing starts. There's a guy named Haman. Haman was Mordecai's Sanballat. He was 
David's Ahithophel. He was Caesar's Brutus. This guy was all about the glory. He was about being seen, heard, and known. And there was one thing about it. Mordecai stood in his way. And so he set up a plot. He wanted to make it look like the king uh, was praised more than anything so that he would receive all the glory for it. And so we pick up the story in chapter 3. Look in verse 2. You see, there had been an edict give that everyone, when the sound was made, everyone would bow to the king. Does that sound familiar in the last few days? As people bow to causes, people bow to certain rights that they believe they have, there are a few that's going against the grain. I saw a picture of a baseball player. It says, I'm a Christian and I bow to no one but my God. There was a young girl on a soccer team did the same thing. My friends, take hope. As God told Elijah, listen, I've got 7,000 more just like you. You may not see them, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. There are unnamed, unfaced people all over the world that's standing for justice and right according to the word of God. But he said in verse 2, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. Not only bow to the king, but bow to this guy. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. See, the world says, listen to me, the world says be accepting or be judged. If you're not for us, you're against us. I saw one of the most horrific things I've seen in a long time that happened last winter. A 17-year-old boy, how many 17-year-olds we got? One. Cadence. Didn't she do good this morning? Stood up and sang for her Lord. Well, this young 17-year-old boy had his buddies, and they went for a birthday party. And part of the birthday party was going to a music festival. And he went to this music festival, and there were different groups, and one was a fairly famous rapper. And during the concert, this rapper looks down right here. They're down front having a big time, you know. And he says, hey... Get that white boy up here on the stage. That's the words he used. I'm quoting. You can look the story up. They get him up there. He says, what's your name? He told him what his name was. He said, I see you down there, young, white, American. He stuck his microphone to his face, and he said, I want you to tell all these people and all your friends and your mama and your daddy and your grandparents blank, Donald Trump. This boy is 17 years old. And he's wanting to curse the President of the United States. Now, this is not a defense of the President. Because listen to the story. He stood there very humbly, shaken. He said, I won't do it. It's on video. You can watch it. 
It, it, it will make your skin crawl. But it'll make you so proud of this young boy. Much like three Hebrew boys that I remember in the Old Testament. Y'all remember that? Where they built the idol and said, everybody has to bow to the idol. When the horns blow and the, the harps are played, everybody bows. And those boys says, we won't bow. We don't mean any disrespect to you, but we're not going to disrespect our God. This boy says, I'm not going to say it. He said, you're not going to say it. He said, no, sir, I was raised to respect the office, and I won't say it. And he shoves this 17-year-old boy, cusses him, and says, get him off my stage. Now, I'm here to tell you that's happening all over the globe. It's not just on concert stages. It's happening in school classes. It's happening on playgrounds. It's happening on professional ball teams. They're saying, listen, be accepting of us or be judged. Mordecai says, you'll not influence me. I will not bow. You see, we must not compromise God's Word. Amen? Listen to this. This is so powerful. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 23 tells us very vividly clear and to the point. He said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on the Lord because he trusts in thee. Listen, our, our, our whole mindset, who we are, we must know God's word. And when the world comes and says, oh, you've got to accept that there's more than two genders. You've got to accept that all of these other things are all right. And living in sin and all of the perversion that's going on in the world and the substance abuse and all of the do as I say, be like me, and don't say anything about it. God's got an answer. But we've got to know it. Don't compromise God's word. And don't compromise God's will. Do you know the Bible says, uh, and I, I don't know if it's in the NIV or, or, or which version, but one place in the King James, New King James says that bad manners, and others says bad company will, commute, uh, will corrupt good communication or good ethics or good morals. When we hang around the wrong people and we follow the wrong crowd and we follow the wrong leadership and we're influenced by the world, our morals will become corrupted. Does that sound familiar in society today? People who took their eyes off the prize. People who saw the influence of the world and chose sin for a season. But now the sun is setting on that season. The temperatures are changing. The leaves are falling. And their lives have become very dark and gray because the presence of God has left. 
Listen, we must not compromise God's will. Mordecai, like the three Hebrew boys, would not bow. They would not bow. Now, if we don't bow, does that mean God's going to swoop in like a, 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 a mother hen, like a mama bear, swoop us up, circle around us, and nothing's going to happen to us? I want to remind you, those three Hebrew boys ended up in the fire. Joseph would not be influenced by his own brothers in the wrong way. And he ended up in a pit, in a jail, and in a foreign country. But through it all, who received the glory? God did. God did. How many times did Moses go before Pharaoh and say, God said, let my people go. And he said, no. How many times did he change? They went from having so much straw to make so much brick and so much time to making twice as many brick with no straw in less time. And so not only was Pharaoh and the Egyptians against Moses, Moses' own people, his own family, his own community turned against him. I'm not telling you it's going to be a pleasant ride. But what I'm telling you is, as we talked about last week, joy is not about the ride being just fun. It's about enjoying the journey knowing that true joy is the destination. The presence of God. Mordecai would be attacked verbally and a plot put on his life. To the point they would even, Haman built a gallows to hang him on. The, ju- the king ordered that Haman had 10,000 talents of silver to hire mercenaries to begin the wholesale slaughter of the Jews. Yet Mordecai refused to compromise. But that leads us to the next one. We should not comply. Now I know that there are things we do comply to. So don't take this out of context. But there are some things we cannot comply to. You can pass some laws that's still not right. And I want to tell you, I don't know what's going to happen today. But a hero of the faith in the last 50 years has thrown down the gauntlet and says, I will not compromise and our church will not comply. He has penned a very beautiful, eloquent, to the point and gracious letter to the governor of California. And John MacArthur says, we will not shut our church doors. Now, Some of you may have different feelings about that. That's your business. But I'm here to tell you, I thank God. There are preachers, there are pastors, there are churches that have been fined and imprisoned for preaching the gospel. In the United States of America, we better wake up. We better wake up. And I'm telling you, the first Tuesday in November is coming. You've got to ask yourself one thing. Has unborn lives been protected more? Has religious liberty been protected more? What will happen based on the outcome of the election? And then you've got to make a choice. 
You've got to make a choice. We will not comply. He said in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, And Haman said unto the king, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of the kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all the people. Oh, listen to all of the accusations. They're different, different laws. They're just weird people. Neither keep they the king's law. I don't know if you understand it, but the world sees Christians that waste a good Sunday morning going to church. They cannot comprehend giving your hard-earned money to a church. They don't understand the principles of tithing. Why spend a whole week of vacation in a foreign land eating strange food with strange people who don't speak your language? They don't get that. They really don't. You see, we've chosen not to comply because in that intimidation, they say, be quiet or be gone. Just go in, shut your doors. We don't want to hear from you. They say Christians shouldn't say anything in the public arena. That's the problem now. Is we've not stood up and said what is right. My friends, it still says in God we trust on the money and in the halls of justice. And it is time that we get back to meaning what we have printed and teaching our children, our society, our community, that we will not comply to this be quiet or be gone. He said, if it please the king, in verse 9, let it be written that they may be destroyed. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes, put on sackcloth with ashes, the most humbling sight and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. Now understand, he's not in the gate of Jerusalem. He's in a foreign land under their jurisdiction. This was not to be so. And we see that in this chapter. He was taking his life in his own hands. And he came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Listen, when Esther heard this, she panicked. She panicked. And through the intimidation of the world and compliance, she even took her chamberlain, one of her servants, took a, a, a change of clothes and sent it and told her uncle, you need to change clothes before the king sees you. You need to comply. You need to conform. You need to be quiet or be gone. Some says, listen, we don't want anything to happen to you. It's like the old saying, you don't have to go away mad, just go away. But church, we must not go away. And it's not in being arrogant, it's not in being legalistic. The world needs to hear what true love is. True love is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hanging on a cross because they thought he wasn't who they wanted him to be. They found him unpopular in, in, in their government. They found him too popular with the regular people, and he was rocking their world. But the truth is that God loved us so much, he sent Jesus for that purpose. And Jesus, not for one second, compromised the Father's will. Not one time did he comply. You know, they tried to trick him on that, didn't they? Walked through the garden, picked ears of corn, 
And they tried to trick him. The lawyers were always trying to trick him. The rabbis were always trying to trick him, and he would turn it. We'll use one of those poise that he used against them. Listen, Joshua said, number one, if we're not to comply, what? He, Joshua said, you're standing on the brink of your future. And what kind of future you have is based on the decision you're about to make. So be real careful. And he issued some influence, didn't he? He said, today, not tomorrow. You don't have a week to think about it. You don't have a few days to go home and talk to your spouse about it. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Some of you have this hanging on the wall. It's on ours. He said, but I want you to understand. Real leadership is not saying go do what I tell you to do. Leadership is saying come go with me. Joshua led by influence. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dads, it's wonderful your children have godly mothers, but they need to see a godly dad doing it right. They need to see godly mothers doing it right. They need to see uncles and aunts and cousins and grandparents saying, we have chosen to follow the Lord. I want to ask you, who's your master? Is it the job? Is it your circle of friends? That you feel compelled to do the things they do and go the places they go? For Jesus said in Matthew 6, you cannot serve two masters. It won't work. A house divided will fall. We've been called to be salt in an unsavory world. I don't know about you, but there's nothing worse than bland mashed potatoes. Just, just bland. I mean, the first thing you need is a salt shaker. Just about between everybody. But oh, doesn't it? I mean, it, it transforms it. Just transforms it. We're called to be transforming agents, to be salt in our families, to be salt in our community. Eastside should be salt Friday night. Emily and I went to get something to eat. And standing there, we had an opportunity to share our faith with a server and to encourage her to come to our church. Lived in Claxton for four years and had no idea where Eastside was. And we were able to encourage her. And while we were, Jenny came in. And while we were there, Nathan came in. I said, where do y'all go to church? I go to Eastside. Nathan, where do you go to church? I go to Eastside. I said, see, that's where the fish are biting. You need to come to Eastside. God's timing is remarkable. And this girl, she was like, you go to Eastside? You go to Eastside? You go? I mean, it was crazy. But God had it set up. For such a time as this. Now I could have just been quiet and been like, listen, I'm hungry. Get me my food and I can go. Who's your master? Because a master's a master even when the master's away from town. Remember that story? But then we need not conform. What does Romans 12 2 say? Be not conformed 
What does that, what does that look like? What does it look like to be conformed? To shape to look like something else that you're not. To be conformed. He said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, through intimidation, insecurity, and immaturity, the world says, be like me or be wrong. If you don't think like me, believe like me, talk like me, go where I go, do what I do. If you're not like me, you're wrong. You're wrong. And we're going to yell and we're going to cuss and we're going to raise all kind of sand to show just how wrong you are. The world says be like us or be wrong. We've got to keep our minds right in the midst of this war going on. And whatever we do, we can't turn on each other. Listen, we've all got our different opinions about things. Things that doesn't matter in the scope of eternity. But I'm here to tell you the lives of an unborn child matter in eternity. Okay? That matters. The, the way people are treated, no matter what color they are, matters. Don't, don't get a knee-jerk reaction because of what you're seeing on TV. Do not become cynical and go the other way. Be real easy to. But I want you to understand something. And I want you to think of yourself when I say this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. You know what Portland needs? More than federal assistance, you know what Portland needs? They need a big dose of Jesus. That's what they need. You know what Washington needs, California needs? You know what they need? They need Jesus. You know what Claxton needs? You know what Evans County really, really, really needs? They need Jesus. Do you know what un Fathered children need Jesus. Do you know what divorced people need? Jesus. Do you know what women who have had an abortion need? Jesus. That's what the world needs. Jesus will change it all. Keep our minds right. Jesus first. Jesus always. We need to keep our priorities straight. You remember... They were asking, they showed him the, the coin, said, what about this? And in Mark, Jesus said these words, render to Caesar what things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now I'm going to tell you real quick, pay your taxes. All right? I lived in a state that didn't have as much tax revenue, and I know we've got potholes and stuff, but I'm telling you, I've not had a cracked window in the eight and a half years since I moved back to Georgia. Over there, cracked windows in every vehicle every year. Every year. From the roads, the rocks, everything. The infrastructure, so much less. I, I like having good roads, don't you? I mean, I like to be able to turn my water on at work. I like that. I like... 
that in the midst of a hurricane that our power companies do everything in their power, even though we don't think they do sometimes, they're not quick enough because we weren't the first ones. You know what I really like? I really like the fact that when I lay my head down at night, even though I may have a loaded weapon with me, I know that I would have to wake up and then figure out, and I'm not trained like some are, Every night I go to bed, there are people standing on that wall. They're awake. They're in their patrol cars defending and ready to protect me and my home. You say, you're being political. No, I'm being biblical. Remember Nehemiah? They didn't have less weapons. They had more weapons. They had a trowel in one hand and a sword in another because they never knew when the enemy may come. I'm telling you, church, the enemy is at the gates. They're at the gates of our children. They're at the gates of our young couples. They're at the gates of our churches. They're at the gates of religious liberty and the lives of an unborn child. I'm saying that because, listen, it is bringing a, a reproach on our country as long as we keep following that stuff. Keep our priorities straight. The Lord comes first. Should we tithe? Yeah. Well, you ought to write your tithe check before you write your, your other bills. But now the government gets theirs out of your check so that you don't get a choice. But then you ought to be tithing. And, giving. and you know what? I say that as I preach to the choir, because I thank God for a church. We're still ahead of budget through all of this. Thank God for you, all of you. Now, if you're not tithing, that doesn't apply to you. And you need to get in on that. But I'm here to tell you, it's going to fall out. And when things loosen up, if they do, listen, we're going to turn it loose. We're going to turn it loose to bring glory to God. We can't get comfortable. Listen, compromise, compliance, and conformity will get us nothing but drudgery because it's not who we are as, as Christians. We're not to conform to the things of this world. We're to stand out and be different from the world. Listen, he tells us we cannot get comfortable. Back in Esther, chapter 4, Look at verse 4. So Esther, Esther's maids or chamberlains came and told it her. Then, when, then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to Mordecai. We told you about that. But he refused to put them on. You see, there's a battle of influence here. And that's going on in our lives. What will we follow? And these are family members. He said, I'm not going to do it. She says, but you need to do it. I'm not doing it. Look in verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself, with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house. Don't, don't be fooled, Esther, that you'll escape in the king's house more than all the other Jews. You, you'll be found out. For if thou altogether hold your peace in this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Mordecai was so convinced that whether Esther served or not, 
God was going to protect him. God was going to protect his people one way or another. He said, it'll come from another place. But thou and thy father's house will be destroyed. He says, I don't want that to happen. And who knows? Who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Are you not in that restaurant to share your faith with that server? Are you not on that job to share your faith with that coworker? Are you not in a traffic stop that you may share your faith with someone you pulled over? Are you not a family member of someone that God meant for you to share your faith in Christ. But many of us don't because they really know who we are. And it's time for a change. Listen, the world says, be nothing for the Lord or it may cost you everything. If you stand up, it may cost you everything. We know the stories of Nate Saint. We know the stories, Jim Elliott. We know the stories of the Anabaptists. We know the stories of John Huss. We know the stories of Wycliffe and the, the reproach on Martin Luther. We know the stories of Bonhoeffer at World War II and the Nazis killed him for his Christianity. We know those stories. But let us not forget those famous words of Jim Elliott who dying on a sandbar trying to present the gospel to a bunch of Aka Indians said, he is not a fool to give up that which he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. The world says, be nothing or it may cost you everything. He said, no, I gain everything. He tells us that in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 7, Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those things I count loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. Listen, we need to be cautious not to put our hope and trust in things. In things. How many of you 40s, 50s, or above, remember the first brand new vehicle you ever bought. Y'all remember that? Do you still have it? How many still have the very first brand new vehicle you bought? You still got it? It would be you, the most humble guy I know. It got old, didn't it? Becky and I, when we were trying to have kids and I said, I, you know, we're trying to prepare material-wise. We want her driving something nicer and something that's dependable. We bought a brand-new, beautiful aqua green color, one of those cool green color explorers with a tan interior. Beautiful, nice car. And at 88,000 miles, the transmission went out. Well, thank goodness, the one time we bought an extended warranty. So we didn't have to pay for it. But then when it got to about 120, computer went out. Then this went out. And I'd take it and get it fixed. And as soon as she'd pick it up from the shop and drive home on I-20, it quit on the side of the road. That thing that we were so excited, took all them pictures. Man, we stood out beside it. We stood out at the dealership. 
we were so, I mean, weren't you excited when you bought your first new vehicle? You signed it. That part wasn't exciting. But when you got in, they said, here's your new vehicle. Tommy loves it. He takes pictures with everybody. He gets to see that. They're excited. And he loves it when you get tired of it. Want to come get that feeling again? That's all right. Because things wear out. We should never get over Christ. You hear me? Are you as excited today about Jesus saving you as the day he saved you? Because I, I'm going to tell you, I was given this truth one time and it, it has changed my life. There is nowhere that God delineates between faith when we're saved and faith how we live. It's the same faith. That we are to live trusting Him the same way every day of our life as the day we placed our faith, hope, and trust in Him to save us. I can't speak for anybody but me, and I, I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty of not doing that. I'm guilty of depending on my own Thinking, you know, my life first, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. I have a real hard problem with that last part sometimes. I start building schematics in my head of how things will work out. I begin to play chess with myself when I only have a checker's brain. And God finally sometimes in the middle of the night when I'm making a great move and I think I'm right there at the point. I'm at check. I've got it surrounded. The king comes up and just wipes off the table. Says you're not even in the game, son. Listen, we've got to be cautious not to get too comfortable. And we must be content. Be content. He said in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be lowered or to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now remember that the next time you quote verse 12. Based on that, a man in a dungeon, under house arrest, beaten, shipwrecked, serpent bit. He said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We need to be content. All of us are not going to be gazillionaires. We're not all going to hit the walk-off home run to win the World Series. We're not all going to score the winning touchdown or win a state championship ring. Could be. And we ought to work toward it. If you're going to do it, the Bible tells us whatever our hands find to do, do it with all our might. We should never go into the first day of practice and every practice then thinking, we're number two. Really? And it's hard to coach sometimes, isn't it? When you know you are the underdog, statistics don't lie. But I love it when statistics are wrong. We love a good David Goliath story, don't we? I love it. I love a Georgia Southern beating Florida. And I know this may upset you, but it still tickles me to death that a Georgia State can beat a Tennessee. I love that. 
I love to see underdogs beat the ones who are not supposed to get beat. But here's the case. Christians will always be the underdogs in the eyes of the world. But make no mistake about it. In Romans 8, he said, we are more than conquerors. Be content. And then finally, listen. He's very clear. I love this story of Esther, don't you? I mean, it, it, it is so overwhelming to think of the pressure that they were facing. What was going on in their lives. He said, for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return. Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present. Fast and pray for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, nights or day. And also my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go into un, in unto the king. Which is not according to the law. Not in compliance. But if I perish, well bless God I'll just perish. But I'm going to go out serving the king. Not that king, the king. And what happened? Well, number one, Esther was exalted. She came in. The king looked over there, leaned out his scepter, and she was able to come and plead her case. He remembered one night when he couldn't sleep, they began to read in the book of the Kings. He said, Mordecai, Mordecai, where do I know that? Mordecai is the guy who protected me that told of the plot to kill me. Esther was exalted. Mordecai had the congressional king's medal of honor hung around his neck. The robe that was supposed to be put on Haman, he put it on Mordecai. The Jews were protected. And the enemy was defeated. Not only defeated, but hung on his own gallows. Now, I don't know what the outcome of the situation in your life. Not in the temporal sense, but if you're a Christian, I do know what the eternal outcome is. We win. We win. I used to love that song. I'm on the winning side. I like to win. I, I, I've learned not to be so competitive, but I still like to, to compete. If I'm going to play golf, I want to play well. I, I want to shoot low. If I'm, I'm going to play checkers, if I'm going to play Monopoly, I want to win. But the thing is, I don't always win. But with Christ, I've already won. Listen, will you be led or will you lead? Will you allow Satan to beat you down and the pressures of this world to influence you to just stay quiet, to go away, to be gone, to assimilate, to compromise? Or will you stand and say, though none go with me, yet I will follow? Matt, if you had come this morning, Elena... And I want us to have a song of challenge, just a few verses. Maybe you need to come somewhere across this altar and, and you feel like me. You just feel overwhelmed with the world. You feel overwhelmed at home. You feel overwhelmed about 
going back to work, you feel overwhelmed about going out in society. Listen, we don't have to wait till next Sunday to pray, even though we need to go pray next Sunday. We need to pray now. Maybe you need to make a conscious effort of faith to show the Lord you mean business and come to the altar and pray. We'll stay separated and spread out. Whatever you need to do, whatever God is challenging you today, it's not too late to be redeemed from a compromise and to stand for what is right. That's what I love about God. I love He's a God of second and tenth and a hundred chances. Come and find forgiveness. Walk in faith in Christ. Stand and come. Pray for strength to influence others. Show the love of Christ and His faith will change the world. Come. Come to Jesus.